Morning, everybody. Um, everybody longs for a family, a loving, understanding, supporting, um, forgiving family. And uh, you know, we just celebrated Christmas, New Year's. That's generally a time where families get together. But some families are more like war and peace, like the book. Um, and some families, uh, just some people don't even have them, and it's uh, tragic. In fact, uh, just a few days ago, uh, Chris and I saw um, Sounds of Freedom for the first time. And, uh, yeah, like, wow, this doesn't have an, a clue at how prolific that is. Um, the depravity of man is, is certainly 100%. But... Um, Anyhow, and so here comes John. John has a baptism. He comes to Israel and he baptizes them in water. And, and he, he says to them, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you repent. He, they confess their sins and into the water they go. And they come out and they're cleansed by water, right? It's very, it's ritual. Um, but that water, that cleansing, you know, you just get dirty again. You can't imagine that any of them said, all right, I'm set off. Thanks, John. I'll be sinless from now on. Of course they weren't. But then John says something amazing. I baptize you with water. And then he says, but, and it's a great contrast, but he, Christ, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. I think we're so used to the phrase that we don't really comprehend. Baptized by God? I mean, baptized in water, all right, I go in the water, I come out, I'm clean. That actually would make, that makes sense. But immersed, that's what baptism means. It means to be immersed. Immersed into God himself? How does that even work? I don't think any of us know how it works. It just does. But, so what Christ offers to us, to everyone now who believes upon him, because he's going to have to go through a baptism himself to make this a reality, is that he gives us a permanent, a permanent entry into the kingdom of heaven, and in that kingdom is your family. If they're part of your biological family, awesome. But if you don't have biological family or your biological family wants nothing to do with you, or whatever the case may be. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has created an eternal family in which there is love, compassion, encouragement. Sometimes we challenge one another. Um, forgiveness, communication. It's what everybody wants. Christ made it on earth. It's his gift to mankind. And it's permanent. It's marvelous, in fact. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have it. So today, uh, we're going to start our journey into this baptism of the Spirit. We'll be looking at it all week and uh, in various passages. So let's open up in prayer and thank God for this time in which we can learn of such wonderful things. And I think it's very much overlooked in the church, uh, unfortunately. And so... Uh, of course, we uh, lay aside if there's anything that would be uh, any form of a distraction. Now is a time not to do that, to think of anything other than what we're learning in God's Word. So with that, let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for the marvelous grace that you have bestowed upon us, super abundantly given to us, a life that our Lord said was abundant, that is given to us by him because he laid down his life for the sheep. Because he laid down his life, we have life. Because he went to be, he was baptized with our sins. We are not judged, but justified. All who believe upon him, the incredible, complete work that he has done. And through that work, you, Father, have devised the plan by which we are entered as a gift into your kingdom forever, and to have a family forever. And therefore, Father, to be complete and fulfilled. What grace, what gift. So we ask, Father, that through your Spirit we see this in the purity and clarity of what it is, that it may actually affect our lives, how we think, how we speak, how we act. And when we fail, to rest on you in forgiveness. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain. I count but lost and poor content on
Oh, I locked, kept that locked. Move along, move along. Can't afford shoes for my kid. A um, couple of announcements quick. Uh, Zoom is tomorrow and Monday. That's at 3 p.m. our time. Just a reminder if you want to join us, it's always a great time. Uh, we're looking, uh, going through the book of Revelation chapter by chapter. So just, just discussing it. Uh, we're in Revelation 3 this week. Uh, also, the first Bible reading if, uh, went out yesterday. Uh, so if you wanted to be a part of that, uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the website. You can either email me or email the website, and which goes to me. Or uh, you can, uh, there's a sign-up sheet we put up there on the website. You can sign up for it, and it'll go straight to the mail server, and you'll be all set if you want to read through the Bible day by day. All right, we're in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And so we're just at this uh, next section in Matthew 3. This is where we're really taking a, um, a step into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ which has obvious importance to us, and it starts with the forerunner, who is John the Baptist. Now, as we know, John the Baptist is, has a baptism, a water baptism, that is termed a baptism of repentance. So his, uh, John's mission is to uh, get Israel ready for their coming Messiah. When they confess their sins, to John and are baptized, they're basically saying that they're unfit for the kingdom of heaven, which is the proper message to Israel and to all mankind, that none of us are fit for the kingdom of heaven. But John's baptism is much lesser, and this is from John's own words, that Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit is superior to John's water baptism, and for a very obvious reason, but... uh, It's something that we really should never take for granted, that through the baptism of the Spirit, the vehicle by which God has designed to do this, that each of us enter into the kingdom of heaven forever. And, you know, this is stupendous. It's the most important thing that ever happened to you. Uh, It's the most important thing. It's the greatest gift you've been given. And it also calls for the greatest... um, uh, challenge in life, because with each of the passages that we'll see that in, you know, in the New Testament epistles, we see this baptism of the Spirit that you would read of in Romans and Galatians and 1 Corinthians and in Colossians, that each of them is in the arena of many other things. So this baptism of the Spirit is an entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but it's also many other things that go with that entrance. So, so when we enter the kingdom of heaven, it's we're entering into something that is not going to leave us the same as when we didn't get in. You know what I mean? Like So as we walk through this, as Jesus called it, the narrow door that leads to life, we're not going to be the same. And that's what this is really, why it's so incredible and why it points to the fact that you and I have to live by faith. Because when you were baptized by the Holy Spirit, you didn't feel it. You didn't change. You didn't look at yourself in the mirror and go, wow, I look great. Maybe you did. I don't know. But you didn't see any physical change nor feel a physical change. And in fact, you're just as much of a sinner as you were the moment before you believed. Except now you're a sinner cleansed. But you didn't feel, did you feel cleansed? 
Maybe some did, but it's not a physical feeling. And so there's an aspect here of, and Jesus said it, uh, the, uh, the, whole, the whole Bible says it, walk by faith and not by sight. And, and that is going to be the challenge to us here. And um, the ramifications of it will definitely be seen. And uh, we'll get to that. So Matthew 3.11 says, As for me, John says, I baptize with water for repentance But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. The Greek there means I'm not fit to hold up his his shoes. So this would be like you are the lowest of the low servant who would be carrying your master's shoes. And he said, I'm not even fit to do that. So that that wonderful uh, idiom there is showing that John understands how low he is compared to Jesus Christ. And then he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Notice that there's only two options. It's either you're baptized by the Holy Spirit or you're baptized by fire. There's nothing in the middle. There's no third ground. which you know, There's no purgatory, if you will. His winnowing fork is in his hand. His winnowing fork is his ability to judge perfectly. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. That means that not one human being is going to escape judgment. And he will gather his wheat into the barn. I love here how the barn is the kingdom of heaven. Say a barn? Well, you know, you have to stay with the analogy. The analogy is that we're grain, wheat, we're fruit. We're the fruit of him. The fruit of the vine is every believer. But we're gathered into a barn. And, of course, grain is gathered into a barn. But um, even if you're... You know, we think about our future home that Christ is making for us. John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. What kind of mansion is that? You know, are you really going to care? No. What matters in heaven is who's there. That's all that matters. If I'm, live, if I'm in heaven living in a barn, you know, I'm not going to care that it's a barn. <clears throat> but it's not going to be a barn. Maybe it's a barn. I don't know. But... He will burn. So the contract, the the two options here, he'll gather his wheat into the barn. That's believer into the kingdom of heaven. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And that is a strong phrase. Burn with unquenchable fire. I mean, there's three words there that speak of intense heat. And that is judgment. There's one or the other. So John, of course, says here that Jesus is the greatest, far greater than him, and because and for that reason, his baptism is far greater than John's, and the result of his baptism is obviously far greater than John's, uh, which enters us in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is the judge of all mankind here, and this is exactly... What he is, he's many things, but he is the ultimate judge. He said himself in John 5:22 and 23, he has given, meaning the Father, all judgment to the Son, that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Jesus is the judge of all mankind. So, and this we're going to see this is one of the traps. One of the traps that gets you, your eyes away from, who you are and what you are in the kingdom of heaven is to consider how other people view you. People are going to judge you. 
people are going to try and draw you away from God, whether they do this willingly or unwillingly, uh, people are going to be a major problem. With my walk, my living, see, I'm baptized by the Spirit, and therefore I can also live by the Spirit. Actually, Paul will put it just this way in Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, and if you're a believer, you are alive by the Spirit. It is by the baptism of the Spirit that you have eternal life. God made you alive as God would define life. And that's eternal life. So he says, if we are alive by the Spirit, and we are, let us walk. In other words, live by that same Spirit. And that takes faith. It takes faith to know who you are. It takes faith to do what you are does. <clears throat> so the only opinion of you that matters is Christ. So when other people judge, and they will, Satan will use them to judge you, to evaluate you. Um, that is, And it's going to be hard. It depends on who the people are. And some people judge you, and you're like, yeah, whatever. You don't really care about their opinion, but when some people, other people do, their opinion matters to you very much. And if Satan can use them to get you away from the peace and joy that comes with being an alive with Christ, eternal life, this is what the baptism of the Spirit does, enters you into union with Christ, then uh, he will do so. And so Christ's opinion is all that matters. All right, now I've got some funky Greek coming at you. Uh, this is the beginning of the sentence in Matthew 3.11, and I'm only doing this to show you two words. So uh, here John says, I, you, baptize in water for repentance, and then there's this de here, which is, but after me, someone's coming. And that's, anyway, you don't need to know the Greek, but what I want you to see here are these two words. Uh, sorry, let me, you, there we go. I want you to see these two words, men, which means indeed, and it's not actually translated in the, in your Bible. Uh, generally it's not when it's paired up with this, you have men, death, men, death, and it means indeed I, but he, indeed I, but he, and it's, con it's a contrast. And uh, it's something here that we could see in the original language that says, John is really saying here, what I do is not like what he does. Indeed, I baptize you, hudati, that's water. I baptize you with water, but this little death right here, someone's coming after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's a completely different thing. And this... Same thing, mendeh construction is in our passage. It's in Mark 1.8. It's in Luke 3.16. It's in Acts 1.5 where Jesus says it himself. So why don't you turn there? We'll look at that passage. And in Acts 11.16 where Peter repeats the same thing. John baptized you with water, but contrast, I baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 1.4. Acts 1.4. Okay. 
gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Now, where are we? Of course, we should make sure we all know this, that this is Jesus is already resurrected, and he has been with the disciples for 40 days. Um, he has been resurrected walking around earth for 40 days, and, he's, and now he's about to ascend into heaven. But before he ascends into heaven, he says to them, look, don't leave Jerusalem. Gather, uh, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water. There's a men in there. It's not translated, really. For indeed, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Not many days would be 10 days. In 10 days, Pentecost is going to happen. Those flaming tongues are going to come upon all of the Well, some think it's only the 12. Some think it's all in the room. Regardless, and he continues. So when they come together, they are asking him, saying, Lord, really it's the disciples, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. This is the baptism of the Spirit. When they're baptized by the Spirit, they're going to receive power. What they want to know is eschatology. That's the... the uh, the knowledge of the end times. They're like, are you restoring your kingdom now? When's your kingdom coming? It's like, that's not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are going to receive power. And this is what our Lord has for us. This rebirth by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you believed in Christ as your Savior, you were completely made brand new, a new creature in Christ, and now with the Holy Spirit in you, you have available to you the power of God. And to do with that power what God wills you to do. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens to all believers at the moment of salvation. And uh, we're going to look at all these passages this week. We're looking at the Galatians passage today. Oh, that should be 3.27, not 2.27. Romans 6, 3 through 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Galatians 2, 27, and Colossians 2, 12 all speak of the baptism of the Spirit at the moment of salvation. In the context of all of those passages, again, it's Galatians 3, that is the, the, all that God has willed for his new humanity that is here on earth. And it is incredible. It's just incredible. It's, there's so much to do and so much to know that it just boggles the mind. Do we even have enough time to even do it? Um, but the pursuit of it is indeed marvelous. <clears throat> so we're going to look at all these this week. So I encourage you, if, if you don't listen during the week, uh, to read them. <laughs> Because if you don't get all of them, there's part. There's just so much of this that you won't ever understand, and that will be. That it's one of the huge issues of Christianity is people like for a doctrine like this, which we would have called a foundational doctrine. Foundational almost seems like it's simple. It's not. It's. I mean, it's simple to understand, but there's so much to it, and it's such a blessing. 
to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're entered into, immersed into God. Now think about that. Immersed into water, I get out of the water. Thanks, John. I'm probably sinning again before the day's over. But when I've touched God, can I be made unclean after that? If I've been immersed, that's what baptism means. Now, I, I, you know, it's, there's words that we use to describe it, but there's really no way to describe it. You're God's property. You're God's child. You know, an ant is God's property. My cat is God's property. They belong to him. He rules them. He's sovereign over them. Like We use all those words to try and describe our relationship to God, but this relationship to God now is something that is beyond words. You are immersed into God. Now, if you're immersed into God, can you be made unclean again? In other words, you've touched God. Can you be made unclean? Well, if you can, then touching him really doesn't mean much, does it? If we can undo it. If you've been, and one of the, the passage we'll see means that you're clothed with Christ. Again, that's touching him. Immersed in Christ, clothed with him. That's the only imagery that Paul could use to describe. But I'm clothed with Christ. If that's true, could I do some work to add to my relationship with Christ? If by faith, when I'm baptized by the Spirit, I'm clothed with Christ, could I do some work? Some, something to improve my relationship with him? The answer is no. What could you do? When it comes to water, no one is saved by water. Okay, almost everybody understands that. There's very few who think that water, water baptism saves anybody. <clears throat> but if you're not baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're still in your sins. And if you're not baptized by the Holy Spirit, then you're destined for the other baptism, which is the unquenchable fire. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is rebirth. Rebirth. And that makes you a child of God. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Galatians 3, 23. So you become a child of God. 3.23 But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, no longer under the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And the next line has our baptism. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now this issue with the law is an issue in Galatia. And here's just so we have a never miss an opportunity to have a map. Galatia is, if I may leave my pulpit for a second, is right in here. And... Paul, on uh, two missionary journeys, went through that area. And these are the churches that he's writing to. So, he's, uh, Paul's established churches here. You see it in the blue Galatia. And they're doing great. 
uh, they're Gentiles in this area, so they've been delivered from paganism. And what have they learned? That they're saved eternally. That the Spirit has baptized them. They know this. They've been taught it. You see it in the letter. Jesus, and Paul says to them, look, you began by the Spirit. What in the world happened to you? Well, what did happen? Some people snuck into their ranks and convinced some of them, maybe a majority of them, that they had to be under the Mosaic Law. In other words, they had to do the rituals of the law in order to be justified before God. To become righteous before God, you couldn't set aside Moses' law, that you had to submit to Moses' law. So, in other words, to the rituals, to the feasts, and some of them are convinced to be even circumcised. They're not circumcised because they're Gentiles. And so Paul, when he hears this about them, he writes this letter. And it becomes, therefore, a great instruction for us, even though you and I are really probably not in danger of being tricked by those who are peddling the Mosaic Law. We don't hear much of this. That someone's going to come to us and say, you better celebrate the Passover, or you better get circumcised if you're not, or you better you know, do some of the cleansing rituals or other rituals in the law. So then Paul says in verse 27, now, for all of you, all of you, even those who have been fooled by this false doctrine, all of you are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That verse 26. Verse 27, all of you, notice, for you all in verse 26, all of you, same phrase in verse 27, were baptized into Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Clothed with him. The Mosaic Law ever do that for you? When you're baptized by Christ, could then I then add to that by some work, some ritual, something I do, could I add to it? The answer is absolutely not. But since you and I are not going to be tempted by such a thing, how does that tempt us? Where is, it, is there a temptation in our world that is going to actually uh, pull us away the way that the Galatians were pulled away from the grace of God? And there are many things. There are many things that are around us. In other words, we lose our grip. We lose our grip on the grace of God. And how do we lose our grip on the grace of God? Well, we um, oftentimes will say, well, uh, I'm going to sin, I'm going to sin, and my, my sinful life is going to portray the grace of God. You know, or I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to really take my Christianity very seriously. And that's going to be my shield against this being pulled away from God. I mean, I'm going to be so much into the grace of God that I'm just going to live in my flesh. And some have actually thought that that is the solution to this. Obviously not. It's ridiculous. To lose the grace of God is to lose the wonder and the appreciation and thankfulness for all that God has done for you. To lose your grip on the grace of God is to think that your life, your spiritual life, is more based upon the world than it is on heaven. To lose the grace of God is to, um, <clears throat> you know, is to think 
that life is truly made up of the details of life. That how much money I have. To lose your grip on the grace of God is to be stressed about how much money you have. To be worried about tomorrow. In Galatia, they think, well, if I do these things, I'll be in God's favor, or God will make me more righteous if I do these Mosaic law things. For us, we can often think that if I, you know, pad my bank account or, uh, or, or get the right social life or uh, not have any problem, if I could eliminate all problems for my life and have everything go my way, then I'll be good, right? I'll be righteous. But the grace of God says, I made you righteous. The grace of God says, I justified you. The grace of God says, you are in union with me and in my kingdom for all time. And the grace of God says, I am in you as God to empower you to live a life that is exceeding abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think. And you don't earn that ever. But it's... But if you turn your heart to me in faith and walk by the Spirit, that is the life that you will live and experience. Why? You're in the kingdom of God. See, that's grace. Grace says, I put you in the kingdom of God. But the solution to this is not to um, say, well, yeah, I don't want to get tripped up by that legalism thing, so I'm going to be sinful and lazy. And if you're sinful and lazy, you definitely won't get tripped up by the legalism thing. You'll get tripped up by something else. It's just an exchange, an exchange for something else that is apart from the grace of God. Grace is giving. Grace is giving to you abundantly without you earning it. And the Galatians lost that. And that's how that problem shows itself to us today. you live abundantly knowing the extraordinary value of the gifts that God has given you. They are extraordinarily valuable. Just who you are in Christ Jesus as a believer, baptized by the Spirit, you are a son of God. And you have a family, an eternal family. Son or daughter of God that has an eternal family that's filled with love and compassion and grace. And yeah, I know it's hard to find and all throughout the history of Christianity. It has not been a reality all the time. Actually, fairly rarely. And so it seems that Christians have actually lived in harmony and in love. As Paul will say in the Colossians passage, which also has the baptism of the Spirit, that the perfect bond of unity is love. This agape love that we're to have for one another. This is a gift, right? That love is a fruit of the Spirit. And why can I do that? It's because I have been baptized by the Spirit. And Jesus had to undergo his own baptism so that we could have it. And he did it. He did it just for us. <clears throat> so you're an heir. That's the what. Oh, so not only a family, but an incredibly wealthy family. Look at uh, Galatians 4 4. 
But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent, God has sent, forth, his, uh, sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is the uh, Aramaic word for father. And the next one is the Greek word, pater. Abba, Father. <clears throat> Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. An heir by God. You could almost say, by God, I'm an heir. An heir of what? What do you think God's inheritance is like? By the way, someone has to die for you to get the inheritance. And that's here. It's the blood of Christ. He died for us so that we would receive this inheritance. So not only are we a family that is eternally a family, but we are incredibly wealthy. And the danger here. As we'll see. But first, let's... Uh, now, before I get to the danger, notice that in verse 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why is it important that Jesus is, first off, born of a woman? Because he's, he's truly human. But why is it also important that he's born under the law? It's because under the law, he is the only one who kept it. He's the only one for all, uh, ever who kept the law. And therefore, he's the only good man. The only one. He's the only one qualified to be in the kingdom of heaven. He's the only one ever to keep the law. But he's only also under the law. He died on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, uh, it's not the whole sentence here, but you, you hang him on a tree. It's this, God says, look, if, you, if someone commits a sin worthy of death and you hang him on a tree, which was okay to hang him on a tree as an example to everybody, don't do this. The Romans did this, right? That's why they used their crosses, was to warn all to be so scared of such crimes that you wouldn't do them. And so God says, look, if you hang him on a tree, you can't leave him there all night. You have to take him down because cursed is everyone on a tree. If you leave him up there, God says, overnight, then he'll curse your land. That's how cursed this man is, is hanging on a tree. And so when the, the Jews, Jews have become Christians in the early church are going around to people saying, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and he died on the cross. Every Jew would say, there's no way that's the Messiah. Because of this verse. That would make him cursed. But like so often with us, what looks on the surface to be wrong, with a little insight, turns out to be marvelous. And that's why you and I have to be patient when we're learning God's word. Because we can easily jump to conclusions that are not there. But here... In this case, Jesus becomes a curse most definitely, but not because he's a sinner, but because we're sinners. 
And Paul says this. And you can read it there. I didn't put it in the notes, but oh, let's get back to it. Look at Galatians 3.10. Galatians 3.10, for as, many are, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Well, that's all of us, right? None of us could keep it. He did. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy 21. He hung on a tree for us. He became our curse. <clears throat> so God the Holy Spirit, by baptism, entering each of us into union with Christ, and therefore really uh, identifying, if we, baptism can also mean identification, he's identified us with God forever, that we are now an infinitely wealthy family held together by pure divine love. And yeah, it's been super rare to see a group, even in a church, who have been held together by divine love. Um, why? Well, I think we all know the reason why. I mean, we can say sin, but yeah, all of us are sinners. I am. I know you are. But what happens with a group of people, and, and I'm not saying here, I'm saying anywhere, a group of people who are believers is that we get drawn away from that which happened to us. You see, John's baptism, the water baptism, is kind of like the Mosaic Law, right? It's a ritual. It's a washing. It's a ritual. And there's a confession. And it's much like the law. But then Christ, And he says that men, indeed men, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who's so much greater than me, I can't even hold his shoes. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This baptism identification with God the Holy Spirit is going to completely change everyone it happens to. And with that change comes a complete, this old world, not our world anymore. This old body with all its, its sinful nature, it's not ours anymore. And yet, we're left in this body. And we're left in this world. And this is, this is something that uh, the Old Testament never saw. That's why the church is a mystery. And that with, with the uh, antagonism that would come against us, against us from this body and the antagonism from the world, and the distractions from both, that God would make us new, indwell us. I mean, we're made the temple of God. And, um, and then have the opportunity to by faith walk in the manner of heaven while in this body and in this world. And it takes faith. It takes alert faith. Every day, and we're going to have our bad days, of course, but it takes a consistent and alert faith. But what happens to believers? Paul said it in, in Ephesians 5, awake sleeper. And what is the sleep? That's uh, here in our next passage. It's the ABCs of the world. That's how I 
and like to interpret this word coming up, the ABCs of the world. The ABCs of the world are, and that's an uh, artist depiction of a black hole, so to speak. Uh, black hole, right? It's a place in the universe that has this infinite gravity, and it just sucks everything into it. Uh, the world sucks everything into it and gives nothing back, nothing of value, and we get drawn into it. What was drawn the Galatians into their ABCs are not the same ABCs as us, but the source of them and the end of them are exactly the same. Paul calls it the elementary principles of the world. Look at Galatians 4.8. He says, however, at that time when you were unbelievers, Galatians 4.8, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. You are idol worshipers. But now you have come to know God. And this is such a great phrase. Or rather be known by God. See, a believer is known by God. This is a wonderful way of saying that God, you belong to him. Rather, to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Now, here's their issue. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Mosaic law. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. The trap for the Galatians is not ours. You're probably not tempted with keeping Jewish rituals. But what are the ABCs? The, uh, this uh, word, uh, words, I don't have it on the board. This word, uh, elemental. I love this word. It's stoicheo. And I used to be a chemistry teacher. If you remember the word stoichiometry, anybody have a recollection of that awful, awful thing that we tried to teach you? Stoichiometry is you take a balanced equation, you have to balance it first. You take a balanced equation, there's reactants and products, and you're given a certain amount of reactants, and you, you calculate how much product is being made. So if you're combining, say, in hydrogen and oxygen to make water, if you had like 10 liters of oxygen and 20 liters of hydrogen, how much water would you make? You have to convert the mass to moles and then moles to mass again. And uh, there you have it. Piece of cake. That's stoichiometry. So a stoichiometry is from a balanced equation, I know reactants and products. So in a scientific natural world, what happens on the reactant side happens on the product side. It never changes. Hydrogen and oxygen make water. They make hydrogen peroxide too. But, you know, there's, there's for instance, uh, you know, uh, acid and base make salt water all the time. But when God comes into your life, you are out of that realm. Now, yes, you're still under the laws of chemistry. But what God is saying, or what Paul is saying here, is why are you going back to the laws of the world? Which laws are what? Well, for them, it was keeping the Mosaic law. And Paul call, calls them, notice, he calls them weak and worthless. Weak and worthless. The world's a minefield. A minefield of things that can distract us. We worry about money. 
We stress over our children. We stress over our jobs. We fear our enemies. We're distracted from social media. We're absorbed into the news about politics. Good Lord, we've got a year coming, don't we? Trump gets elected. I don't think Portland's going to be there anymore, is it? Absorption about the moral condition of the nation, which gets us cranky and mad and angry. We're worried about money. We're worried about doing what God tells us to do and then it's not going to work out for me. Like a wife submitting to her husband or a husband loving his wife as Christ loves the church. A wife is to submit to her husband in all things. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And I say, well, he's going to take advantage. She's going to take advantage. And so we fear. So we look at the elemental things of the world. And we say, well, how does the world do it? And then we justify our behavior based on the stoichiometry of the world. We say the, the world's okay with this. This is why for us as believers, we can get drawn right into this and call it the Christian life. And it's a phrase I use a lot. We water it down. But this baptism of the Spirit is a brand new birth. Brand new birth. And God designed it so that they're going to come for us. I say they. You know who they are. We always talk about them, what they say or they do. They're coming for you. They are. Look at Galatians 4.17. They eagerly seek you. They, for them, we call them Judaizers. They're the ones who had gone into the churches and convinced people that they have to keep the Mosaic Law. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. It sounds very much like human nature. It's not that I care, So, as the deceiver, as the false teacher, it's not that I care that I'm right or that I'm right before God, but what truly um, establishes me and gives me meaning is that people agree with me. They follow me. They agree with me. I can get enough people to agree with me. Then I say, I'm good. That's the ABCs of the world. God says to the wise in the world, I make foolish. The ones who are strong according to the method of this world, I make weak. But to you whom I have called, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Knowing that one thing, and that gets right back to the beginning of this message, Jesus Christ is the only judge. And it's his opinion and his truth and his manner is the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters. And if you have that in your heart, boy, you are free. And that's in Galatians 5.1. Christ came to set us free. We're free from sin, free from death, and free from the ABCs of the world. And now, so if you're going to be free from the ABCs of the world, as we saw, you're going to be a light to the world. You will be, as he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses all over the world because you are living as those who are new 
then I am going to use you as a light to the world. What do you think the world's going to do when your light is blasting in their face? Your light being Jesus Christ. And it tell you to shut up. And it tell you to sit down. And they're going to try and, like he said here, pull you away so you seek them. Satan will do it any way that he can. It could be a full frontal attack on something like a addiction, an addiction. Or it could just be, uh, you know, I don't want to upset people in my family. So, you know, I kind of turn off my Christianity when I'm in this place. And I turn it back on in this place. And then I turn it off in this place. And you are not, this isn't, it doesn't have a power switch on it. <coughs> Baptized by the Spirit, you are new. So, the, as we conclude this here for this morning, uh, the baptism of the Spirit is a death and a rebirth. The old world and the old nature are no longer our world. And so as Paul, and I just skim over this because I only have a few minutes, this last thing in which we use as uh, application. Paul turns near the end of his letter here to the fact that the people who, and, and really destined for the baptism of fire, the, the people who are not of the promise, meaning that a promise was made, and the promise was made to Abraham a long time ago, that in you, all the families of the earth would be blessed, Abraham. And that is tricky. It seems like a lot of weight put on Abraham's shoulders. But as we continue to read in the book of Genesis, we find out that there is a seed coming from Abraham. And this is in Matthew's genealogy at the front of his gospel, that Jesus is the son of Abraham. That a seed of Abraham would bless the world. In Galatians, if you believed in Christ, you're a son of Abraham. Amazingly enough. If you want to get a Jew real mad, you can tell him that you're going to sit at Abraham's table for all of eternity. Don't do it on purpose, though. You Gentile, or as they call you, the Goyim. Um, so, this, so it's a promise, right? It was a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, look at the stars of the heaven. So shall your descendants be. And in that very passage, he said to Abraham, who believed in him, by faith, Abraham, I credit you with righteousness. And that's the promise, the very promise that Paul brings up right here in Galatians. But then Paul brilliantly now goes to another area of Abraham's life in which he did not believe God's promise. And when his wife Sarah said, why don't you go sleep with Hagar, my maid, Abraham was like, oh, oh. I'm twisting my hand behind my back. Sure, I'll do it. And uh, like any typical man. But he had, hey, that's Hagar, and they had a son, Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is not of the promise. Ishmael persecuted the son who was of the promise, who was Isaac. And Paul makes this contrast. The scheme. 
Right? God's not coming through, is he? No, I'm 90 years old, Abe, and I ain't getting pregnant, I don't think. But God promised us. I'm not saying Abraham came back with that, but that's what he should have. So when we're at the, at the end of this letter, Paul says, walk. Now, if you live by the Spirit, let, look at it with me. Uh, look at 525. If we live by the Spirit, this is, this is a, a first, what we call a first-class condition. A first-class condition means that you do. This is, like, this is not, are you walking by the Spirit right now? This is, are you alive by the Spirit right now? And if you're a born-again believer, you are. So in verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. How are you going to, and walk means live. How are you going to live by the Spirit? Faith, 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 faith. Faith is obedience. I know what God says for me to do. And at times it's scary to do it, ain't it? Isn't it just easier to go back to my old ways or whatever my flesh would normally do or rather than just do it exactly as God has commanded me to do it? Isn't it? It is. It's easier to just do it the old way. And look, the, the ABCs of the world, they're all going to say, oh, that's normal. That's completely normal way, the way you did that. The way you said that. Completely normal. You're great. You're good. Come, follow us. Don't, don't get so uh, immersed and so fanatical about that word of yours in your Bible. Come on. Just come with us. As Paul said, they seek you. They seek you. This takes faith. And that's what Paul brings out. The promise was to Sarah, and the promise was Isaac. And there he was, Yitzhak. His name means laughter, right? Because Sarah laughed, Abraham laughed. And, you know, God has called us to live by faith. This faith in who we are to walk by means of the Spirit. So if you are reborn by the Spirit, and you are, walk by the Spirit. This, uh, coming back here, sorry, I'll go back in a second. This, what, what did God make here? Through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We don't have a whole lot of time to get into it here. Through the week, we'll, we'll refer back to it. But in chapter 4, Paul here in Galatians is saying, look, God the Holy Spirit is making a family. He's already made it, and he's continuing to make it. So, like Jesus said, who are my mother, who are my brothers, who are my sisters? It's you who hear the word of God and keep it. God the Holy Spirit is making a family. It's an eternal one. And it's a family bound by love. That's why we have to do this now. We have to be bound by love. It's a family that's bound by love, and it's a family that is infinitely wealthy. As God considers wealth. So, a wealthy family of love with Christ as head and king. That is a part, now it's a small part, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you and I have. Let's celebrate our Lord's Supper now as we close up.
And uh, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 26, if you want to join me. And if we'll pass out the elements, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper and conclude our service. So what is uh, normally called the Last Supper is really, it's a Passover Seder, a Passover meal. And um, a Passover meal would have lasted for hours. You know, it's a big, wonderful meal. And, and it's, uh, e- even today, it's a time of celebration for Jews uh, when they celebrate it. Uh, and <clears throat> as it was, it, same thing for the disciples here, this I mean, they understand that there's something very solemn going on with their Lord, uh, certainly. But um, when they come together to celebrate this, Jesus says, as he so often did, some very surprising things. And he says, um, look at verse 21. If you're in Matthew 26, 21. As they were eating, he said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now, they know that he said before that he had to go to Jerusalem and die, and that, but they didn't understand that, and that became clear. They, they didn't understand what he meant by that. It's clear to us, but we're on the other side of the history of it. That he was going to be mistreated and die and raise again on the third day. He told them this on multiple times. But here at this Passover, I mean, come on now, Passover is a happy time. And they don't really understand all that he's going to go through. And then he says something profound. These are his closest friends. So one of you is going to betray me. And we know who that is. They, and they said, surely not I, Lord. Right? Verse 23, not, not me. Not me. And Judas even said it. 
But then he said in verse 23, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who betrayed me. And we seem to think that it's when he dipped, like they both dipped at the same time, but it doesn't necessarily say that. I'm not saying I know what's going on here in the particulars, but all of them have dipped in the bowl with him, haven't they? So it's one of you who dipped in the bowl. Well, that's all of us. But then Judas says, it's not me, in verse 25, and he said, well, you said it yourself. That's not particularly saying it's you, but, you know, does Judas understand? We know that he doesn't understand, and really none of them understand. But one thing we do know is that these are Jesus' closest friends, and he said, I long to celebrate this Passover with you. He was waiting for this time, and with his closest friends, and he knew one of them was going to betray him, one of them was going to deny him, And all of them were going to desert him. All of them. And yet, he got together with them. He washed their feet. He spoke his words. And he changed the Passover so that they would have something that they could always remember him by. So that they would never forget the real reason why they had all that they had. So when it came to the bread, (coughs) the bread is the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread was a representation of the fact that Israel had to get out of Egypt quick. They didn't have time to leaven the bread. So they had to make unleavened bread so that they could go. And so the unleavened bread spoke of freedom. The cup, the cup of wine, the wine was something to drink. It was rejoicing. There were four cups to drink during the whole evening. And, um, and then that cup, though, it represented to them the fact that, well, there's, you know, there's animal blood involved, which is the lamb and, and this cup of wine, like a libation, which is a, you pour it out as an offering, um, that God was the one who blessed them with wine. And that the animal sacrifice was the forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus took all these parts. See this bread that is your freedom from Egypt? Now it's me. I'm your freedom. I'm your freedom from sin, death, and everything that's wrong with this world. See this cup? What does he call it? Look at verse 27. He said, Taking the cup he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. What? No, it's not. These guys have celebrated Passover for years. The cup has never meant that. But tonight it does. Here, what they thought was a... Blessing from God, which it is, would now come to represent his very blood, which would be given for them. But there's something here that they do recognize, the blood of the covenant. That's a phrase that they know, that would be familiar to their ears. It's in Exodus 24, 8. Moses sprinkled the people with blood. Think about cleaning you with blood. Moses sprinkled the people with blood, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant, and by such... They entered into the covenant and they were cleansed by God. 
Now, Jesus says that's no longer your cleansing. Those an- all that animal blood is no longer your cleansing. Now I am. I'm your freedom. I'm your cleanse- cleansing. So he takes the bread. He breaks it and gives thanks. And they all eat of it. He takes the cup. He passes it around. They all drink of it. And the Passover Seder is changed forever. Very much simplified, but its elements are related. They have a related meaning, but now they have an eternal meaning that is no longer um, a ritual, but reality. A reality of the bread. So, uh, let's together eat the bread. This is my body which is given for you. Let's eat the bread. And he took the cup also and he gave thanks. All of us should be so grateful. I know that we are. And in honor of our Lord and his sacrifice on the cross for our, our sins, let's drink the cup. Let's pray. We thank you so much, Father, for the gift of our Lord. We thank you that you're so much smarter than us and that you have given us a ritual. You took this Passover and you made it the reality of what it always was to me. And that reality is now ours. It's in our grasp. It's in our, in our very selves that we are your children forever. You've baptized us by the Holy Spirit in union with you. And all because of our Lord to be was baptized with the sins of the world. He died, was buried, and resurrected. As we will see in your word, Father, that we with him have also died and been buried and resurrected. All who have believed upon him. A grace gift. If anyone listening has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior... I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior of the world. And as that Savior, He has come for you. He's died for your sins on the cross. And therefore, all you have to do is believe upon Him. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll uh, take our offering per usual and then let you go. Thank you, Grant. Let's uh, pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the uh, privilege of giving, the opportunity to give. We give as your believer priests and worship in honor of you, and we ask, Father, that through these gifts, our church would continue onward uh, as it and as it will. We pray, Father, glorify you in Christ's name. Amen.
right, we're ready to fly away. Happy New Year, everybody. I think I already closed in prayer, so break. No. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much. You are dismissed.